gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. The Evening Jones with like new and improved sound. And it's like R&B stylings when I kind of do it like this. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, uh, welcome. Um, anyway, uh, we are here. I suppose things happened last week. Since the last time we talked, things have happened. Things have happened all over the place. Like, I don't even know. Like, normally I try to come on and have some kind of, you know, something funny and anecdotal from the week that has passed or something that's come up or whatever. Um, I don't really have a particular one right now, and that is in part because most of the stuff I could probably come up with is going to be stuff that y'all got questions about. Yo, man, world out here wilding. World out here, world out here wilding about the fact that the world out here wilding. Like, there is a broad level of wilding that is going on right now. They wilding at the Grammys. They wilding at the White House. Everywhere you look, man, somebody out here wilding. And, um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on. Anyway, to your questions. With the Oscars coming up, how much of a shot was 3-6 winning it a decade ago? Um, I would like to start by saying that perhaps a bigger shot than 3-6 winning said Oscar is you telling me that that happened 10 years ago. Because that happening 10 years ago makes me feel very old. It reminds me of other things that happened 10 years ago that make me feel very, very old. But, so, here's the thing about it. It's not like Juicy J won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. You understand what I'm saying? Like, it's not like DJ Paul won Best Director. They won it for the song that they did for the movie. So, yes, there was a certain level of shock to the idea that 3-6 Mafia could win an Academy Award. But if they had gone up there, like in tuxedos, like other people who were at the award show and just taken their awards and, you know, been very quiet about it and gone, you would, like, the shock of 3-6 Mafia winning it is not intrinsic, right? It's not intrinsic to the idea that a rap song could win it. It's not intrinsic to the idea that some black people could win it. Because, like I say, they could have cleaned up and everything would have been cool. The thing about it was they showed up and they acted like 3-6 Mafia. And no one has ever been happier to win an Academy Award. Like, John Stewart, if you check it, as I recall, John Stewart hosted that year. And they go to John Stewart right after they get that Oscar. And he's like, look, those are the dudes that are doing this right. You know what I mean? Like, these are the dudes who are really, really, really enjoying this. But that was what made it hilarious. What made it hilarious was the fact that they got up there. I mean, who did he shout out? Was it Matthew Modine or something like that? Like, I forget who it was that he shouted out. Like, there was such a genuine joy to the idea that they won an Academy Award. Look. Think about this for a second, all right? If you're watching this on video, you notice I do this show, and I had Emmy right there behind me. There go Emmy. Y'all see Emmy? Now, part of the reason I display Emmy is honestly because it's kind of comical, and it's comical because I did absolutely nothing to earn that Emmy. I was a producer on a 30 for 30 in the year, the 30 for 31 best documentary series. That was producer they sent an Emmy to my house right 
I did not win an Emmy. They gave me an Emmy, right? And that is why I stunted. I stunted because I honestly know I did nothing to earn this, right? It's the come up, right? What I'm supposed to do, hide it? Hell no. Nah. It is highly unlikely I will ever win one of those things again. It is a come up, right? So I am going to enjoy the fact that I have this as a come up. Those dudes actually won the Oscar. You know what I mean? Like, they earned it. They did what it is that they do, and they won an Academy Award, which then wound up being an interesting thing to consider in this way. Dude, it's 2017. Juicy J is basically doing what Juicy J has been doing for the last 20 years. And, like, Juicy J is still out here. And not only is Juicy J still out here, you listen to, like, the Black Beatles and Bad and Bougie and all these songs like this out of Atlanta, man. Dude, those are all 3-6 Mafia songs. Like, in terms of, let's say, tangible impact and influence on the music that you hear, 3-6 Mafia has quietly kind of ascended to legendary status. And that's whether you're from the South or not. Now, they've got some ridiculous records, but they also have some five beats. They got some five tracks. And you also have to keep in mind that that kind of like, what they did and how they did it with mid-tempo was also kind of the origins of that little John Crunk era, which is a whole lot of like highly energetic but mid-tempo tracks. That is very heavily influenced by Memphis and Juicy J and DJ Paul. Like, I don't think that any of us, even the people who are more sympathetic toward the cause of Southern rap, which I admit I wasn't always so dedicated to the cause, um, I don't think anybody could have seen it going to a point where you could legitimately look at the level of influence that 36 Mafia's had, and there aren't a lot of people you can put up into the same place. There just aren't. Somebody just said Chad Club Up was 19 years ago. Will, actually, um, I said Will, actually, uh, as I'm about to do a Will, actually. Um, as I recall, that is Chad Club Up 97 that you are thinking of. Anyway. Oh, yeah, Chad yeah, Club Up 97. Like that, the Ted Club Up version that everybody thinks of, really, as like the Ted Club Up, that is Ted Club Up 97. So that would not be 19 years ago. That would be 20. Thank you for reminding me that it'll be 20 years ago this year that I graduated from high school, meaning 20 years ago this year that I started college. Yeah. Yeah. Also, by the way, before I forget, 3-6 Mafia has a hand in two of the absolute greatest posse cuts of all time. In fact, you can even make an argument three of the absolute greatest posse cuts of all time, depending upon how you want to look at it. Um, one of them is Hypnotize Cash Money off the Ted Club of Thugs album. Um, another is International Players Anthem, which DJ Paul and Juicy J produced. And then the third one is the all-time classic Stay Fly which is like one of the great songs in the history of music, 
Like, it is incredible. It is perfect. It is everything. Anyway, appreciate your questions. See what else we got here. Will people ever realize that the Grammys are all about popularity and politics as opposed to musical talent and artistic vision? Uh, okay, so I am reluctant to get into, like, the Grammys are all about this, the Grammys are all about that. Like, I, I, I think that that is an oversimplification. I think a lot of what has happened around this last round of Grammys has been a bit of an oversimplification. Though, within the oversimplification is, I think, people missing what is a simple point. All right, so somehow we made it too simple while missing what is very simple. But what is very simple is that, yo, the Grammys can be kind of random, right? And the Grammys can be random in ways that are irrespective to race. Um, And these things have happened historically. I think the great example is Born in the USA and Purple Rain were nominated for Album of the Year. And Lionel Richie, like solo Lionel Richie, the Lionel Richie we like to act like don't exist. He won the album of the year. Like very often some weird things can happen with album of the year. Bob Newhart once won album of the year. All of these things, right? They don't do a good job of giving people Grammys like within the world of whiteness. You know what David, you know what David Bowie got his first Grammy? for a recording, for a musical recording. You know when he got it? Sunday. David Bowie was dead by the time they had the uh, the, the Grammys last year. He won his first Grammy this weekend. I mean, they don't, they don't always get it right. Like they, they, This is just something that you have to understand. There is a crazy list of people who have never won Grammys, and that extends all over the place, right? But, 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 but within that, there is also this other reality, which is that it seems that when black artists get into like the the main awards outside of the sphere of blackness, they don't tend to win, right? Uh, another thing about the Academy that I think is incredibly frustrating and I think plays a role in the way that Beyonce was received, um, though not entirely, obviously, um, is, look, man, we're at the point now where rap music or, like, hip-hop, we're in the fifth decade of it. This is no longer new and edgy in that way. Like, this isn't a thing that that we're we're so far beyond the idea of treating rap as a fringe genre or some sort of fad. But we cannot ignore the fact that anything that has a rap influence, and that Lemonade album absolutely has a hip-hop influence. And I would contend that the most obvious influence in Beyonce's music for a stretch of time now has absolutely been Southern hip-hop. Like, if there's a common thread that has run through a whole lot of this, and been the bangers, it's a whole lot of Southern hip-hop, and just the way that she kicks it, the swag of it, man, that's a whole lot of Houston and New Orleans rap. It's a lot of it there. And the mainstream still does not have respect for the artistry that is required to make music like that of a high quality. 
they still don't get it, right? So it's like some of the absurdity is like these awards that Kanye West has not won when he's had these incredible records, right? It is still not treated by this academy with the same artistic weight as this other stuff. Now, look, when I saw that it was Beyonce and it was up against Adele, I'm sorry, guys. I thought you understood how this was going to go. I suppose that's part of my confusion here. Like, it's not even confusion. I guess it's, I guess I would argue more so that it is a disconnect uh, between me and a lot of people that were angry with the way that the Grammys went, which is I just stopped taking who won them seriously a long time ago. And I ain't judging nobody if you if you still do. I'm just surprised that people still get this invested over it, and I'm not exactly sure why. And, like, I feel like the Grammys are a bit different than the Oscars because I feel like the Oscars, after receiving the honor of winning an Academy Award, I, f- I feel like that has much more of an impact on a actor or actress's career than it Grammy does on a recording artist's career. Like the direction a recording artist's career is going to go is going to have nothing to do with how many Grammys that they wind up with on the shelf. Or it's not like all of a sudden your price is going to go up in that way just because you win a Grammy, right? Or it's just going to change your whole life. Like maybe a bomb performance at the Grammy ceremony, but like just because you won a Grammy, I don't feel like that's going to change the game up for you in that way. So they give them to whoever it is they choose to give them to. I've also done work, you know, around the music industry. And I understand that there's a lot of politics that go into the Grammy. So I get disconnected. I was very disconnected from the emotional, visceral response to Beyonce not winning in these larger categories. Now, part of that speaks to the amazing devotion that Beyonce has built with her fan base. I told you, I went to that Beyonce concert. And it is amazing how she at one time sells Queen and Homegirl. It is the most like she has this incredibly endearing persona that she's put together to where she's like close enough that you can smell her, but never close enough to touch it. And you know, she smells good. You know, like she, she just kind of has that quality about her. And so when people reacted in that way and they reacted in that way, even though Adele won. And let me tell you something. You want to get ripped up in the shreds. You want to get torn apart by a whole bunch of strangers. You want to be called some names and potentially a racist slur or two and probably be called a sexist. Get on get on the social medias right now. Say something bad about Adele. You let me know how that go. The capes come out for Adele. Nobody is here for you saying anything bad about Adele. They're not here for it at all. Right. I even felt like when the majority of the hive that I saw, because I don't get into the deep fringes of the hive. Right. I'm talking about I, was, I try to see the things from the hive that still got jobs and like some to lose. But, you know, from, from them, even they didn't really seem to be going so hard at Adele because I think like, everybody know the rules like you. You got to be careful going hard at Adele, man. They come. They come. They don't. I mean, everybody's just like I, 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 find it, I mean, I've been saying this since 21. You can't say nothing at all bad about Adele or anything that seems less than glowing about Adele. You, you, you can't do it. You can't do it. So it was very interesting that this conflict came between these two fan bases, except they wound up coming together because Adele got up there and gave an acceptance speech that I got to say was way better than either of her performances during the show because we got – Two performances from Adele. We got one performance from Beyonce. 
and somebody showed up to that award ceremony and they didn't know nothing about them before they got there, they'd be like, so y'all trying to tell me that these are two biggest stars at this thing are these two. Really, that's the best y'all got is these two. Am I lying? I mean, am I lying? So anyway, yeah, the Grammys are just kind of random. Like, I think you should watch it for the performances. And see, it's interesting, I guess, because the Grammys are taken to have this, like, certain level of credibility. Uh, But think about this. You are very much so capable of enjoying the Grammys in the same way that you enjoy, say, the BET Awards, right? And I say that to say that you don't remember who wins the BET Awards, You just watch them. They got performances and stuff. You enjoy it. It's a good way to pass the time. You can do that with the Grammys, too, because there really is no reason why inherently the Grammys would be more prestigious than the BET Awards, especially given the fact that you don't trust the way that that Academy votes for stuff. Right? Like, I don't care enough to protest that process. I never have. I never will. Right. I don't care. I think that if you had won a Grammy, that it would be cool. And I do think for people like the idea that you have gotten far enough that one day maybe you could be on stage and you could be holding a Grammy, which is something that you never did. I imagine that that in itself is probably really, really cool for people. Right. I mean, I imagine that like I don't want to like downplay in an entirety like what you get if you get a Grammy or something like that. But I mean, as a viewer, man, you can just watch it for the performances and then let it ride. Like that's cool. I just can't make myself take it seriously in the ways that I found that people did kind of contribute into it. I mean, if you're that invested, I understand the anger, but man, people were heated. I'm like, yo man, in the words of public enemy, who gives a fuck about a goddamn Grammy. I just didn't know so many people like really, really did. So, hey, whatever. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Did you agree with Carlos Santana's comments about Beyonce and Adele? So, I think Carlos Santana said something to the effect that the reason Adele wins those things and Beyonce doesn't is because Adele is like the consummate, you know, is a singer, right? And that Beyonce does all this dancing and everything else to mask the fact that she can't sing and yada, 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 and everything else. Now, one thing I think is interesting is that this ascribes, and I understand this. I say this as somebody that really don't need all the dancing and performing and stuff, right? Like, I'm really into this for the music. I don't really need much more than that. However, I do feel as though, like Carlos Santana saying that Beyonce does all the dancing and stuff to mask, like, mask the hours, like she can't sing or something like that. I guarantee you, Adele is doing more singing to mask the fact that she can't dance than Beyonce is doing dancing to mask the fact that she can't sing. Because Beyonce can sing her ass off. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't really know how many, like, more ways that you can make that she can make that clear. And that's not an insult to Adele. I just don't understand. Like it's almost as though Beyonce is being punished in his eyes for having these other talents. And it's shocking to me that he would show 
a lack of appreciation for the aesthetic that Beyonce is going for while putting together some really interesting music. Now, I don't know if it's a matter of like Carlos not listening to music or something like that, but I don't feel like, like he's talking about Beyonce like she's Britney Spears or something like that. The other thing about it too is that while Adele can sing, man, you know, Adele's still kind of giving you a wide swath of, man, that's not any fun. Like, you got to admit that Beyonce got a little more range, right? Is that, is, that, is that something that we can all come together on? I feel like Beyonce got a little bit more range. So, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely just disagree with it. I don't even know why he decided that's the hill he got down. My question is, in Carlos married to uh, a girl with the fro that played drums with Lenny Kravitz? I mean, I don't have any idea how Cindy feels about Beyonce. Um, I will say it might have been a roll of the dice for Carlos coming into that house after saying that stuff. Like, I bet Carlos will be talking bad about Beyonce in front of her. I mean, I don't even know nothing about the lady, but I don't really think I would take that chance. Sometimes you just got to nod and rock with it. Yeah, 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 Sandy, take me to Red Lobster. Like, I mean, that would be the play if I were Carlos Santana. Yeah, you know, that's how that goes. Now, I had seen this, but, you know, somebody, uh, dude, Daniel says, if Adele was black, she'd just be singing at church. I think Jamila Lemieux um, had made that point also. But that, that point requires some important, some clarification, though. Like, Adele's put out some pretty good music. Like, I didn't really love that 25, but the 21 is really, really good. Like, it's an interesting Rick Rubin project. I think they brought out some interesting stuff, um, like, sonically from her. I just didn't want to hear but so much of it. Um, basically, I felt about 21 that, I mean, if I wanted to listen to this, how about I just jump on the phone and call all my ex-girlfriends and just say, hey, how'd you like to let me have it? And, you know, and I suppose that there's a certain level of brilliance that comes to conveying something so clearly that I hear it and immediately I'm just like, nope, I have no desire to hear this ever again. So I am never going to be one to deny Adele's talent to say those albums aren't good. I, they're just not that much fun. And I'm kind of in this for fun um, to a degree, right? Like, that's like there it is. I'm, I'm kind of in this for fun. Um 25 to me was just not as good as Lemonade. Like I thought Lemonade, and I have no idea if that was what I was just talking about, but Lemonade was just kind of conceptually fascinating. Now I also have to admit that part of my feeling of Lemonade is probably tied to my appreciation to the way that Lemonade was rolled out. And I don't know how much that goes into how much I enjoy Lemonade when I listen to it. But I mean, that's some really, 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 really good stuff. Right. I just thought it was a better album uh, than the one Adele put out. But there was never a moment in my life that I thought for a second that Beyonce was going to win that over Adele. I'm sorry. I, we, I feel like we've all watched this movie many, many times. I have to say I didn't really get people being surprised. I don't even really at this point, like, get people being but so offended. At some point, you just got to stop taking those people seriously. I don't take it seriously. Worked out okay for me. Appreciate the question. Uh, let me see what else we got here. 
How do you feel about Prince's music being released on streaming services like Spotify, even though he strictly opposed them when he was alive? So here's the thing. Um, Prince didn't strictly oppose streaming services. He strictly opposed streaming services at the prices streaming services were willing to pay him. It's not as though there was simply some principled objection to having Prince music stream on Spotify. I mean, the music was streaming on Tidal. It was there, right? It had been on Spotify before. He just didn't like the deal that they were cutting, and he didn't like the politics that they were cutting it, right? Well, he's not here to make those decisions now. And somebody else owns that music, and I guess they don't need as much bread as he felt like they did. One thing you got to remember, man, is that I think the people who are inheriting this estate, man, they kind of like regular folks. And, you know, for them, it's a chance to cash in and not really a chance, I think, that they can necessarily pass up. Um, But I'm not about to complain about being able to stream Prince's music on Spotify again. Like, I want the music. The, th- the thing I care about is releasing what is in the vault. I don't want the stuff mixed and mastered and finished by anybody else. Like, I'm just not interested in hearing somebody else's interpretation of Prince or somebody else trying to do their best, like, impression of Prince. Maybe if you got, like, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis in there, I might be down with it. Otherwise, no. I have no desire to hear any of that stuff. Now, they say they got, like, concert films, you know, stuff. Like, okay, I'll do that. Like, I'm here for that. That's fine. But no, man, I I don't have any desire at all to hear other people tanking around with Prince's music. It's not even a matter of he didn't want us to hear that. I mean, maybe he didn't want to hear us, but you know what, though? I bet a bunch of it is jamming like this. He wouldn't want us to hear it. I bet he wouldn't, right? But think about this for a second, right? That uh, performance of Creep that Prince did at Coachella. That was in the line of fire things that Prince would be zapping when it went on YouTube until Tom York remembered, wait a minute, I own the copyright on this because he's singing my song, and so you're going to put it on YouTube. Y'all watch that. Prince didn't want y'all to be able to watch that, but y'all watch that. Right? Like, let's not pretend like we just all so totally about Prince's wishes. Nah, man, we trying to hear this. I just don't have so much that I necessarily want to hear. I would like to hear the Miles Davis stuff out of the ball. Like, that I would like. I mean, like, if that came out, but only if it was finished. Like, if the stuff was unfinished, I don't want it. If the stuff is finished and there's somebody that we can trust to determine whether or not it was jamming, I'm kind of down for it. I am. Prince didn't want it. Sorry, buddy. You don't make those decisions anymore. Sometimes you got to be a little bit selfish. But we don't need a flood of stuff. We don't need a flood of stuff. Now, I saw somebody in the chat room said he never got the big deal about Prince. And he said maybe it's because he's young. I'm going to be honest with you, young fella. Maybe it's in part because you're young. But I'll tell you one thing that'll probably help you in understanding and appreciating Prince just a little bit more. Have some more sex. Like, 
it helps. Like to kind of get it. I mean, it's it's it kind of comes with it. And I'm not even saying that to shade you. I'm just telling you that that no, no matter how much sex you're having, like really feeling and understanding Prince, more sex than that would probably help. More of that would probably help. And again, that's no shade. That's a legitimate observation about somewhat of the quality of uh, Prince and his music. There we go. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. Man, hold on. We got a lot of questions and a lot of them good. Sorry for just taking me time to go through and figure out what to do. Yeah, here we go here. So is every man for themselves in the White House? Now, look, man, you know, when I talk about these things, I don't really get so much involved in discussing these politics with y'all just because it's not that important to me. I mean, I mean, there's some parts I'd probably talk about if you had to build with me or something like that. But this isn't necessarily the platform for it. And I like my life to be a little bit stress-free. Ain't no need to make this life harder on me than it has to be. Anyway, I am fascinated just by the sociology of the current White House, right? The politics of it don't matter. It is the sociology of this, right? And I was really thinking about this. It was either today or yesterday. I can't remember. I think it was yesterday. But here's the thing you got to remember about the way this White House thing is set up. Nobody is in it for anything bigger than themselves. Like no one at all. You got all these people around Trump, right? But they're not tied to any level of a common cause or the hierarchy of a political party because Trump's ties to the Republican Party are themselves weak, right? So like nobody is beholden to anyone. There's nothing that can make any, like nothing operates as a governor over anyone that's in this. And so you got all these people who are around the president, but they're all around the president because they believe that they can use the president to get what they want. But see, the thing about that is you can only use the president to get what you want in that way if you are consistently elbowing your way to the front to have his ear, right? So nobody's going to be in here trying to fall back for now, fall back for this, fall back for that or whatever it is, because nobody has any level of trust in the people who are actually around them. And so if there is no trust that your concern will eventually be dealt with, everybody's going to fight all the time to get close, all the time. Like that's going to be a constant fight in this whole thing because nobody's in it according to the same reason or the same hierarchy or the same loyalties. Like very few people, very, very, very few people are, and very very few people have like an actual loyalty to the president. They have relationships, but very few have an actual loyalty. So how are you supposed to get your work done like that? Because that's hard to do, and it's a lot going on. It's a lot going on. I would simply like to make this point. Mike, this observation, okay? Um, People who engage in petty crime occasionally do business on telephones, right? I mean, like petty, petty crime, like very, very small levels of crime. They occasionally do business on telephones, sometimes through text, sometimes talking, iMessage, right? 
And when they do, it's my understanding that they all use code, right? They all use code. They could be talking about a crime that involves something like $20. And they all use code. Why? Because they think the feds might be up on their phones, right? Like some dude is riding his bicycle to be a sandwich artist at Subway during the day. And he's getting home and he's trying to make some money on the side. And he's talking about it like it's a foreign language. Right? He sounds like he uses slang from a part of town that you don't live in. You know what I mean? Because that dude thinks the feds is up on his phone. How had no one considered the possibility that the feds might be up on their phones. <laughs> I throw my hands up there. I throw my hands up there. Like, I feel like anyone under consideration for the job that Flynn gentlemen ultimately received. I feel like if you were going to be nominated for that job, you had to consider the fact that the feds would be up on the, on, on the phones. I mean, I didn't realize the feds being up on the phones went that far, but I just talk about sports for a living. Like if, they, if they were nominating me, I feel like for national security advisor, I would have had some idea that they'd be up on the phones like that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's an underrated part of this discussion. Now, you watch The Wire, right? All that code they're using, all that code they're using on The Wire, all of it, on the streets, on the phones, everywhere else, because they know the feds be up on the phones. You think you're just going to be out here talking to Russia? Ain't nobody going to be up on the phones. All right, so you get to the rest of the stuff. Like, hey, people out here talking about impeachment and everything else. I don't know, man. This all just happened a couple of days ago. There's no telling how much, like, how, I, how, how present is this going to be in American life? Because I was thinking about this, right? It's, it's been a long time, hasn't it, since we had a good old-fashioned put uh, Congress on television scandal? I, have we truly had one in the cable news era? Like, so just make sure we have this, you know, so you know what I'm talking about. Like, we give some examples here. Uh, Iran-Contra, for example, was the stop the world for this congressional testimony sort of thing. Uh, Clarence Thomas, that was another one. Like, stop the world for the testimony, right? How does that go in 2017? Right? How does that go? Because it appears it might be headed in that direction. I don't know where it ultimately goes, but it appears to be headed in that direction. If it goes there, man, that's going to be wild. Wild. Because, hey, man, 
one thing I have noticed. The threat of a perjury charge does have a tendency to be a truth serum. Like people do whatever in the world it is that they could possibly do to avoid depositions. Because you can't lie in the deposition. And so a whole lot of people who have demonstrated themselves willing to lie about a whole bunch of things, it's all fun and games, so you got to put your hand on the good book. What in the world happens then? The other question I got, too. So once, if you didn't know, and I have no idea who knew just what, right? But if you didn't know that they was up on the phones like that, and you've been talking on the phones about this stuff, how tight is your booty right now? Like, no matter who it is, if you didn't know they was up on the phones and now you know they was up on the phones, it's like, yo, homie, they know everything. Like, it is entirely possible that they know everything, which is going to raise another set of questions about when everybody found out everything and then what to do from there. But, hey, man, I I saw the clip today of Trump when Netanyahu was here. Trump looked like he needed a good night's sleep, man. And it's only been a month. And, like, I mean, this job wears on people. We saw what the job did to Obama. You look at the grade and everything else. Like, I mean, it's a lot doing that job. Dude, Trump looked like all he wanted today was a nap, was a nap. And, by the way, we're recording this on Wednesday. And so what has happened now, you know, the Flynn thing has been going on during the week. Do you realize how many things have happened between now, the moment of this recording, and over the weekend when somebody took a picture on Facebook with the dude that's got the button that can blow up the world? Like that wasn't even a week ago. How many things have happened since then? That was like five days ago. Yeah. It's a lot, man. It's a lot. And by the way, all of it contributes to one of the grand ironies here is that Trump hates the media and man, he's going to be so good for business for the people he hates the most. Because there's just so much content. So many people are going to get hired. Like at at those big papers that are around this, so many people are going to be hired. Because there's just so much money in this. This is wild. I don't think any of us ever thought. It ain't been a month. Like I want you to think about that for a second. It has not been a month. And here we are. By the way, I think you guys need to give me a certain level of credit for figuring out how it is to talk about these things in a forthright manner without having to talk about any of that stuff that makes these sorts of conversations problematic. It's a delicate skill. I work to hone it. I do it for you. 
Let me see what else we got here. Somebody trying to ask a question about that North Korea. I don't I don't really want to be out here uh be out here tinkering and poking around with North Korea right now. Like there's a bunch of stuff that's happening, by the way, that I just never thought would be a thing that I would think about in my lifetime. Like somehow I thought we was kind of past it. Like I saw this thing, they said there's a Russian boat hanging out off the coast of Connecticut. I'm like, yo, man, when like 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 wait, what? Like, I guess I wasn't naive about these things, but I ain't really accustomed to them reaching points like where it comes on the news. Like, yo, yo, man, it, it's mad. It's, it's, it's real. Like, I think all of us just need to hope that in a global sense, none of these countries get their Jordan stepped on. Because it's kind of like that's where we are. Where if somebody steps on somebody's J's, this whole thing can just turn upside down. That's all it might take. That's all it might take. But invariably, somebody going to get a scuff on their J's. It's almost impossible to avoid it. It's just a matter of whether somebody realizes it as it happens. And then how they choose to resolve it. So there's that. Appreciate that question. Let's check this one here. You've been amazed by the run of African-American women on The Bachelor this season during the highly questionable segments. How do you feel about the African-American bachelorette for the coming year? Yeah, you know, so it's been a running thing that it's been all these seasons of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, and they never had a black lead, which, I mean, the issue there is that the people who are producing the show do not believe that white people will watch a story about the black woman or black man, A, as the primary love interest, but I think also B, with the power that implicitly comes with that. Right? So think about this. For a lot of people to watch, so if they had a black bachelor, you got this black dude, and it's going to be a room that might be, who knows how they're going to change the racial distribution of the people, of the, the contestants. I'd be very curious to see that. But let's just say that that room is like 50-50 black and white, right? Let's just call it 50-50 black and white. Imagine that. Black man with this room, including all these white girls, and they got to do what it takes to make him happy. There's going to be some fellas that's going to opt out of watching that with their wives after that. Not all. Not all. But some. But some. And so I guess part of the question is going to be whether or not viewers can relate to a black woman as the lead there. I'm not part of that audience, so I don't feel the most comfortable commenting on whether or not it's going to work i did not think this would happen though like i had grown kind of comfortable with it and i think it'll be very interesting to see how it goes and part of why i think it'll be very interesting to see how it goes is 
I have long said, and I mean, this applies to the content that I make. I have long said that people do not give white folks nearly enough credit and they can handle a little more than people think. Like there are going to be people who like resent the idea totally of there being a black bachelorette, right? That being said, some of those people probably weren't going to watch anyway. You might pick up some new viewers. Some people will give it a try and then catch on to whatever it is. I mean, almost to a degree, it's kind of random what it is that people are going to get into. You never know, right? So the argument always comes up where they're just kind of like, well, no, we don't think that's what the audience wants, but they never give the other approach a try. And... I mean, it can work. I don't know anything about the woman that's going to be the the, black, the bachelorette, but, I mean, if she's got something about it that makes her likable that people can get into, then this would be interesting. Um, also, uh, my understanding is that shows like The Bachelor and Bachelorette often have the Meet the Parents uh, sort of segments. Uh, and depending upon how these things shake out and how they go down the line, Hey, man, don't be out here bringing me no fraudulence, man. Don't be out here bringing me no fraudulence. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, don't be out here bringing me no fraudulence. If she wind up with, with a white dude or his two white dudes, um, I feel like somebody's parents going to be like, wait, what? You didn't tell me that when you said you was on the show. Like, I feel like it's entirely possible it's going to come up. Why? Because all of us know people who have engaged in one way or another in the interracial dating game, and it's a whole lot of people that found out a whole lot of things about their loved ones that they didn't even know was there once they made that decision to bring Tyrone's black ass to the house. You know? And it happens when somebody decides they're going to bring that white woman to the house. Now, I don't know how exactly it goes when you bring the black woman into the house. I don't fully under, I don't have a great grasp on how that goes. And I'm just saying, not everybody is just going to be like ready to ride this thing out. And like I say, she, you know, like I feel like she went on The Bachelor the first time. I feel like she on The Bachelor Red. I feel like if she bring a white dude home, it ain't the first. You know, like they've come to understand that this is kind of how it goes sometimes. You know, I imagine that probably would make it just a little bit easier. But if, if, if this hadn't happened before, yeah, buddy, they've been making movies about this for a long time. And you know why they've been making movies like this for a long time? Because it's still funny. It is funny. People get so uncomfortable and all I can do is liggity, liggity laugh. Appreciate that question. I think I got one more in me. I think Bruno hit a home run on the Prince tribute at the Grammys. What did you think? Yeah, I figure I should answer that before we get out of here. Um, I do not think that Bruno hit a home run with the Prince tribute. I think that Bruno made good contact, right? Didn't try to do too much. I think he shortened up his swing and make sure he got around on it. And he got good contact. Maybe you could say that he hit it in the gap, right? But no, nah, it was not a home run per se. Bilal at BET Awards, that was a home run because he took it to a place. Bruno Mars, I felt like, wisely stayed within a lane, right? And so, like, he does the guitar solo for Let's Go Crazy. 
he can't play guitar like Prince does, right? So he played the guitar solo that he could. They sent the cloud guitar from Paisley Park. They had that realism. He did the gear, whatever it is. You had the energy from Let's Go Crazy. I mean, it paid homage, but I do. Th- this is one thing about these homages. It's worth noting. So, for example, the Wild My Guitar Gently Weeps from Prince from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. As cool as we all think that is, that is for George Harrison's posthumous induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And no one ever thinks about George Harrison with that performance, really. Like, they'd be like, yeah, but his son was on stage and loving it or whatever. But stop and think about that for a second. No one really thinks about George Harrison. Like, as much as I love Prince, he hijacked. It's like he hijacked somebody's funeral, basically. He hijacked the memorial service, right? So, in a way, it wound up being cool because Bruno Mars' willingness to stay in his lane made it much more about Prince than it was anybody trying to show out in the name of Prince. Let us all remember Jennifer Hudson being all selfish, singing over the guitar in Purple Rain. And whoever idea was for her to sing that in the first place should have been fired. That is something that you should lose your job for. But anyway, it did pay homage. And I think there is a value. I came to appreciate it from that performance. There is a value in paying homage without necessarily having to show out. Because the thing about it is, if you try to show out in the course of, you got no room for error. You got no room for error at all. Bruno Mars let us just be happy to hear Let's Go Crazy. And he looked apart and he played enough guitar, but he didn't do it like he was like reinventing nothing. Fantastic. I felt good after it was over. It made me happy. That was good enough for me. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. We try to do this thing here once a week. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you. Remember, if you missed this, if you can't catch us live, check out the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Uh, we're at SoundCloud. Check us out at the Google Play Store. I believe I will probably talk to you guys next week. Take it easy.